0: You know there are just some things that are absolutely, undeniably unacceptable that we experience in our life. S- some may call them pet peeves, but I-, I think there are certain things that kind of go beyond simply pet peeves to to things that we would say, you know, what this is just this is just not not acceptable. Let me give you a, a couple of examples of what I'm thinking about. Have you ever checked into a hotel room that just smells like smoke? It just reeks of smoke. Like if I do that, if I if I check into a room that is smell that, that smells like, you know, smells like a, a chimney, it's unacceptable. I will go downstairs and I will say, "Sir, be polite. I need a new room." Why? Because a smoke-filled hotel room to me is completely unacceptable. Anybody with me on that one? Yeah, yeah. How about this? You ever go out to a nice meal and somebody brings the food to you, and you're kind of getting ready to look at it and eat it, and you kind of move it around. You look down, and inside of your on your plate, there's a long hair. That's not just a pet peeve. That just bugs me. That that crosses the line, right? That's unacceptable. Right? How many of you would say that's unacceptable? You will send it back. Say Sir, you know again. I'm not talking about being rude and being a jerk about. it. I'm just saying like, look, hey, like there's somehow they, they didn't take care of things. I got a long hair in my food. Can you, can you, can you try again? Right? Or you know when you when you buy something from the store or order something off Amazon. Right now most people don't go to the store to buy stuff. You just order off Amazon. You buy a sweater and you, you put it on and it looks nice and it fits well. But then you look down and there's a big old snag. In the sweater, right? Again, more than a pet peeve. You're like, no, I paid good money for that sweater. That's unacceptable. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send it back, so I can get another sweater that doesn't have a snag in it. Recently, my wife and I, we, we, you know this. We redid our house and we bought new blinds and paid for them, right? And the blinds we noticed um, had a had had a wrinkle in it. And I looked at them, I'm like, you know, we can ignore that, but we paid, we paid for it, right? And so we called the company, like, hey, there's a, there's a, there's a blemish, there's a wrinkle in these blinds when we close them. And they're like, Ms. Cricklin, we will rectify that right away. And so while we were away in, in Mexico, they came and they changed the blind. I was grateful for that. Well, last night, as, as we were kind of getting settled back in the house, we were like, oh, okay, they fixed the blind. And I put the blind down, I rolled it back up, and I'm like... It's crooked now. One inch is a, about an, or one side is about an inch and a half higher than the other, and and I, that's a little bit more than the pet peeve. I'm like, that's that's not acceptable. Like we paid good money for it, had them replace it, and, and so we'll have to call them and have that fixed. But but y'all, are you all with me? Are you tracking with what I'm saying? Like like there are just certain things in life that we will not. Accept. Whether it's a smoke-filled room, hair in our food, you know the clothes that we buy, um, we we won't accept impurity and imperfections, right? We we won't accept impurities in a lot of areas of our life. But let me ask you a question: What about our minds? What about our hearts? Are we just as sensitive and aware of the impurity in our minds and in our hearts? And, and, and what would it look like to become as sensitive about the impurities in our minds and in our hearts as we are when it comes to, again, smoke-filled hotel rooms, hair in our food, snags in our sweaters, or crooked blinds? See, it's no secret Our culture makes it very difficult to live a pure life, pure in thought, pure in heart. Again, and this is not me, I'm not, like, you guys know me, I'm not that guy, but all we have to do, just turn on the TV, turn on the radio, jump on the internet, scroll through social media, right? Even scrolling through social media can be dangerous, why? Because impurity is everywhere in our world. It's everywhere in our culture. And we have to figure out how to deal with the impurity in our culture. And, and, and we've taught this before, but I want you to see this. I, I do think that it's helpful. Um, different ways that people choose to, to approach culture. And let's put that slide up there on the screen. You've seen something like this before. But, but when it comes to dealing with culture, some, some have concluded, you know, I, I, I'm not going to fight it. Uh, what's the point? And so they, they just give up and give in. And so, um, so what they start to do is they start to imitate culture, right? Imitation says, be like everybody else. Well because culture says this is okay, because culture thinks like this, because culture acts like this, I can't push back against it, so I might as well start imitating it. There are Christians who choose that way of dealing with culture. Others choose isolation. Some look at our world and they look at at all of the impurities and they choose isolation and they run to the hills literally right and they lock themselves behind closed doors and 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 they 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 act and think and dress and do things that are just way outside the norm but they do that because i don't want to be like the world so i'm just going to create my own subculture and they choose isolation be like nobody this is my upbringing this is pam's upbringing we want to get as far away and isolate ourselves from the culture as possible. That's, one, that's another way of dealing with culture. A third way is insulation, right? Insulation says I've got to be aware of culture, but I'm not going to hide from culture. I'm going to wrap myself in Christ, right? I'm going to put on the armor of God as we talked about last fall but I'm going to continue to live in culture as Christ's body insulated from becoming like the culture. And then I pray that we huck and look at that and go, there's really only one way to approach culture and that's the third way, is learning what it looks like to be insulated from the culture while continuing to live in the culture. And some of us look at that and go, is it even possible Right? Is it even possible to maintain that kind of mentality? Because the standard, the standard is very high. And I want us to start by reading probably one of the, t- to me, one of the most challenging kind of raise the bar when it comes to purity and sexuality uh, passages in all of the scripture. It's from First Thessalonians chapter, uh, chapter uh, number four, verses three through eight where Paul, the apostle, writing to the church at Thessalonica, says these things. He says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his or her own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, or sister in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, whoever thinks that holiness and purity is no big deal, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Listen, the bar is high when it comes to our holiness. So high, there are a lot of people who think, because I can't meet that standard, I'm not even going to try. I'm not going to attempt. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to adopt a hey, since I'm in the world, I might as well live like the world. I might as well adopt the customs and the ways of the culture in which I live because I've tried the other way, and it's just too, give, too difficult. Listen, I want you to know something. If you are a child of God, if you have repented of your sins, trusted in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has come and taken up residence inside of you. You have what you need to be able to live in this world without becoming a part of this world. You have what you need to live a life of purity because God would never require of us. He would never ask us to do something that he doesn't also supply the power for us to do. And the Holy Spirit is the power source. His presence in our life is what we need. The last, we're now approaching the last two weeks of our series in the book of Genesis. It's been an overview of the first book of the Bible. Uh, This is week nine, I believe. And so we have this week and next week left. And this week and next week, we're going to look at a particular uh, character in the book of Genesis, a guy not by the name of, of Joseph. His story starts in Genesis 37 and continues through the end of the book. And so if you were to kind of just break down the book of Genesis, you would conclude that there are more chapters given to his story than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or any of the other you know, characters that we see, Noah, the creation account. From a chapter breakdown perspective, more chapters are given to Joseph's story than anybody else. And so in two weeks, we can't cover his whole life But we're going to cover a specific incident in his life, a specific moment in his life today, and then we'll talk about some general thoughts from Joseph next week as we wrap up uh, the story. So again, what do we need to know about Joseph this morning? There are several things we need to know about Joseph. Let me give it to you straight. Joseph came from a dysfunctional family. Okay. He came from a very dysfunctional family. How do I know that? Well, his dad had multiple lives, or multiple lives, had multiple wives. Okay. His dad had multiple wives. His family dynamic filled with jealousy, filled with betrayal, filled with strife. Dad makes a major parenting error, error early on in Joseph's life when he calls Joseph his favorite in front of his other sons and gives him a coat to prove that Joseph was his favorite. His brothers, deceitful, they fake his death and then they sell him into slavery. And then Joseph becomes, for the majority of his life, a slave in Egypt, And let's not forget what Egypt was. Egypt was a sin-soaked, sexually perverted culture. So when you think about Joseph, you can conclude this, that if anybody had an excuse for just giving up and giving in and just going with the flow of culture, it would have been him. And he would have been able to justify it saying, well, you don't understand. I'm just a product of my, of my family. The reason why I do what I do, the reason why I live the way I live, the, the reason why I, I have, have adopted the, the culture of the Egyptians is because of what daddy did to me. It's because of what my, my brothers did to me. Is because of all of the bad stuff that happened to me growing up, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. But if you study Joseph's life, which we will see uh, today, Joseph is a man who modeled for us genuine purity in his life. Again, we, we speed through a little bit of his backstory that led to the incident and in, in, that we're going to look at today. Jacob, his dad, uh, favored Joseph. We already said that. Gives him this coat of many colors, multicolored coat to signify that he was his favorite. His brothers are jealous of him. They decide to, to ambush him and throw him in a pit. And while he's in the pit, they're trying to decide what to do. Do we kill him? Or, or, or something else, and one of the brothers says, no, 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 don't, don't do that evil thing to our brother. Let's just sell him into slavery instead. And so uh, some traders come by, and they get Joseph out of the pit, and they're like, hey, how much will you give him? Give us for our brother, and they, they exchange some money, and off Joseph goes into Egypt. Joseph ends up, when he gets to Egypt, he ends up landing in a guy named Potiphar's house. Right. Potiphar is who he ultimately lands with, and when you think about Potiphar, who was Potiphar, um, kind of in a you know, kind of comparison's sake, he would be seen as, in, in, in kind of our, our culture, the head of the FBI, the head of the, the CIA in Egypt. Now again, <clears throat> let's slow down and put ourselves in Joseph, Joseph, Joseph's shoes for a minute. He was a young man, 17. 18, 19 years old, now living in this huge mansion surrounded by perversion, because that was what the Egyptian culture was all about. It was as bad as as you can imagine a culture to be. When we think about how bad our culture is when it comes to perversions, it had nothing on Egyptian culture. And that's where Joseph's at. That's where he's living. That's where he's spending his days, his weeks, his months, and his years. And so if you have your Bible, open to Genesis 39. I'm going to read verse 2 down through verse 6. Inside Potiphar's house, here's what happens. Scripture says that the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. That's Potiphar. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he, Potiphar, made him Joseph overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Let me just stop right there. Things are going pretty good for Joseph. Again, because the Lord was with him, and we'll talk more about that next week, uh, he rose to the top of Potiphar's household to the point where Potiphar did not worry about anything, and you saw what the scripture says, other than what he was going to eat that day. Everything else, Joseph took care of. Potiphar noted there was something unique about Joseph, about, what, about who he was, his character, his, his integrity. There was something different about Joseph, and he rose up quickly inside of Potiphar's house. And now is when things start getting a little bit interesting, because in life, here's, here's what I've observed, and I think you've observed the same thing, that the greater the obedience, the greater the temptation The greater the obedience, the greater the temptation. See, the more that we are walking with God, the more the enemy tends to want to turn up the heat when it comes to tempting us. Why is that? Well, as we're living in obedience to God, as we're trying to live out his commands, as we're trying to be be who he wants us to be, we become more of a threat to the enemy and his work in this world. That's why we've got to always be on guard. What often happens is when we are really growing in our relationship with Christ, we have a tendency to let down our moral and mental guard. And it's in those moments that the enemy can strike. Let's continue to read. Chapter 39, the last half of verse 6, says this, that now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And I keep reading. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. Let me just stop right there. Scripture says that Joseph was, was well-built, that Joseph was handsome. Again, makes, makes no apologies for the fact that he was, an, he was a, an attractive young man. And after a while, Potiphar's wife began to notice She began to notice. Let me ask you a question. We've we've taught this before. Was noticing Joseph's good looks a sin for Potiphar's wife? Was observing, hey, this is a young man who is very well built and handsome. Was that in and of itself a sin on Potiphar's wife's part? No. No. That wasn't a sin. See, when we take notice of the beauty of another person, doesn't start as lust. It doesn't begin as being sinful. We will and we do notice. God has made us that way. But, but here's the lesson that we've got to remember and write this down. Temptation turns to lust, which is a sin when our God-given desires go haywire. When our God-given desires go haywire. And that's precisely what happens in this story. She looked. And said, that's a good looking young man. But then she allowed her thoughts to linger. And it was those lingering thoughts that led to lust. And it was that lust in her heart that led her down a path of devastation. And, and before I go any further, let me just say that, that this is a simply a, a story in scriptures. That it just so happens that it's Potiphar's wife who is attracted to and pursues Joseph, the woman to the man. We know this, right? Like our world, like it's reversed often and probably more often, for being honest, that it's the man who looks and lusts and chases after uh, the woman. It's not the woman's fault for being beautiful. It's the man's fault for being filled with lust. So again, this is a two-way street. It's not one side. This is not, I'm not picking on women. It's just the opposite, okay? Guys, listen, we, we, need, to, we need to man up in this area of our life. We all do. So what does she say to him? There was a day that her lust went to the next step. And she said to him at the end of verse seven, lie with me. Come and sleep with me. Let me fulfill it with my body the lust that has been going on in my mind and in my heart. But what we see in Joseph 's response, and, and what we 're going to try to unpack today is that it is possible to stay morally pure. It is possible to stay morally pure, And, and, and now we unpack Joseph 's response, and we 're going to try to answer the question: how can you stay polluted in and in, how can you stay pure in a polluted world? Verse 8, look at what it says. It says, but he, Joseph, refused. But he refused. When did he refuse? Well, again, I don't think that he refused simply in that moment. And We're going to see in the text that the truth of the matter is that there had been um, things happening for a long time before this moment ever came to fruition. The truth is, I think we can make the case that he had been refusing for a long time. It's safe to assume that her advances began a lot earlier than her outright direct invitation to come and lie, and lie with her. We, we don't know all of the timing of it. Scripture doesn't say, but I don't think that this was the first time that Mrs. Potiphar said something to Joseph. So I say that to say this. What's the first step to staying pure in a polluted culture? Write this down. We must make a commitment to God's standard. We've got to make a commitment to God's standard. Psalm 119 says, how can a young man or a woman keep his way pure? By living according to your word. See, you, you and me, we, all of us, we have to make a decision. We've got to resolve in our minds and in our hearts before anything happens. Because if we wait until the moment to decide what we're going to do, we're too late. We're too late. We have to purpose in our heart before the temptation comes, before the invitation is extended, before the the, the awkward interactions begin to take place that lead you down a path that you don't want to go down or that you shouldn't want to go down. But we've got to ask ourselves some questions on the front end. What is my standard of authority? Who is my standard of authority? Am I my own standard? Do I get to decide what's right and what's wrong? Or do I find my standard for living outside of myself? Do I find my standard for living above me and my heavenly father? Father? Do I find my standard of living based on what he's written in his word? And am I going to make a commitment to his word as my standard? Or am I just going to make it up as I go along? So here's where it comes down to. Are we more committed to what we believe God says will meet my needs? Or are we more committed to what we think will meet my own needs? Does God know more about my life than I do? And a lot of us have concluded, well, I know what God says, but I know what I need. Well, I know what God says, but I know how I feel. That's a dangerous path to walk down. We have to establish Who and what is the authority in our life? Because let's be honest. God says some things in his word that are not very popular today. God says a number of things, especially when it comes to purity, specifically about our sexual purity, that we might say, well, why does he he say that? Why does he ask that? Why does he desire that for us? Well, because, number one, he created it. Sex. Sex. And he knows how best for us to enjoy it. He knows more than we do. So we've got to make the decision, God, even when I don't understand the whys, even though I know how I feel, even though I know what I think, even though I know what I want, I'm going to trust you because I'm convinced that you know what is best for me. That's the starting point. And I think somewhere in Joseph's life, he made a decision like that. He made a decision like that. He said, I'm going to let God's word, in spite of what's happened to me, in in spite of where I'm at, I'm in a foreign land, living in a foreign culture, with all kinds of perversions coming at me, I'm going to live in a way that honors the God of my fathers. We have to decide Beforehand, and until you make that decision we can't go on to step two but if you've made the decision then you can go to the next step what is the next step again how do we stay pure in a polluted world I think, I think it has to do with this we have to magnify the results of our, of our sinful choices <laughs> I'm going to continue reading verse 8 down through verse 9 but he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has, kept, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this, and then underline this, this great wickedness and sin against God? What was Joseph doing? He was magnifying the sinfulness of a choice that had he had made it, he would regret. He called it wicked and against God. And I think that, again, just from a practical standpoint, if, think, think about some of the dumb things that you've done. Think about some of the dumb, sinful things that you've done. If you could rewind the tape, go back in time and go beforehand, before making that choice, before going down that path, you, you you could have somehow like blown up the consequences that you experienced as a result of that choice, maximized the effect that it would have on your life instead of minimizing it, which is what we tend to do, would it have helped? I think so. I think it would have helped me. If I could have slowed down in those moments and and maximized the consequences, the negative consequences of that choice, it may have helped me avoid impurities in my life. But instead we think, well, it won't hurt anybody. It's not a big deal. As long as nobody else knows about it. Listen, impurity destroys us. You know, just like a, a impurity in, in, a, in, our, in our food destroys a good meal, mental and moral impurity can destroy and does destroy our lives. Why is that? And again, we're not going to go into all of the science behind it, but it affects our, way, our minds in ways that are powerful and difficult. I didn't say impossible, but difficult to deprogram. Not impossible, but difficult to deprogram. That's why porn is so addictive. It forms habits in our brain. It forms uh, ruts in our brains. They just just get in that rut, and it's hard to get out of that rut. It's difficult to do. Science proves this. God knew this. That's why I said you've got to avoid it at all costs. Again, our minds are like a hard drive, and even if we hit delete file, the file is still there. So this morning, here's what I'm asking. Here's what I'm pleading with you. What would it look like for you to begin to weigh the consequences of your sin before you stepped into your sin? See, sin always packages itself as wonderful, as something that we deserve. But this morning, I want you to know that sin lies. Because the father of lies is behind it all. So choose to magnify the results of your sinful choice instead of magnifying the enjoyment, the pleasure of that moment. Here's a third critical, or third principle that is very critical. Write this down. We must guard our minds. Look at Joseph again. Verse 10. It says, and as she spoke to Joseph, Day after day, and there's the proof that this wasn't just a one time thing, that this was going on all the time. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. And again, the text doesn't, doesn't say this, but give me a little bit of liberty. But if this was happening day after day after day after day, I would imagine that Mrs. Potiphar tried different strategies with Joseph. Hey Joseph, you look really nice today. And just kept walking. Next day, next week, she sees Joseph out doing some physical labor. She stops and says, Joseph, you sure are strong. Man, my, my husband used to be as strong as you. He, he can't lift that, that kind of weight like you lift. Walks on. Boy, Joseph, you're a smart guy. You sure are smart. I wish my husband was more like you. What, what was Mrs. Potiphar doing? She was trying to plant seeds. She was doing everything that she could to simply get Joseph to start thinking about her, wondering what it would be like to be with her. Fast forward in time. Some of you have been on the receiving end of some of those types of conversations. Some of you have been on the extending end of those conversations, question that we have to keep listening or re- re- wrestling with and asking ourselves, is, who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to God or am I going to listen to my flesh? Because every temptation starts in our minds. That's why we must guard our minds. The battle really is, and it sounds cliched and it sounds simple, but it's true. The battle really is won or lost in our minds. We talk about all oh, being open-minded Listen, when we're too open-minded, our minds end up tending to be filled with garbage. But there are some things that we need to be closed-minded about. There are some things that we, we say, I'm going to refuse to allow into my mind that, I'll, 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 that I'm, I'm not going to allow into my heart. Think about people in your life. Think about your own life. If, you, if, you've, if part of your story is, man, I've made a mess of my life. Or if you know people that that's their story, man, I've made a mess of my life. It didn't start with the action. It always started with the thoughts. What would it be like to? I wonder what it would feel like if. I wonder what I, you know, what, what I would experience if this, this. It always starts in our minds. The Bible says clearly about the importance of our mind and science backs this up. The way that you think determines how you feel. We say this our thoughts determine our feelings and you feel a certain way because you you're thinking a certain way and here's the here's the part you need to understand and feelings are what motivate action our feelings tend to be what motivate us to act and so if you want to change your action if you want to break a bad habit you, you want to change your life <clears throat> Don't work on that habit. Work on your thoughts. Work on what caused it. The thoughts that caused the feelings that caused the actions. God says your thoughts control your life. And 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 guys, when I talk about impurities, when I talk about you know purity versus impurity, we're not just talking about sexual purity. All right, but but we can't escape that because it's so very clear that that's what's going on here, okay? So when we think about the anatomy of an affair, the pattern for somebody to, to step into an affair, here's how it typically begins, or not here's how it typically begins, here's the pattern that, that, that's repeated over and over again. It always starts in the mind. You begin to fantasize about somebody else, You begin to wonder what it would be like to be with him, to be with her, to be with them, right? Then it doesn't just stay there. At some point, if you don't deal with what's going on in your mind, it begins to move to your emotion. That's when things begin to not just be up here, but they go outward. And you begin to flirt. You begin to make comments. You begin to test the waters, to see if there's somebody who's going to bite on the other side. It goes from fantasizing to moving toward our emotions to then the physical involvement. Then it happens. Then it happens. And then what we do after that? We begin to justify it. We justify our actions. Everybody is doing it. It's what I really needed. This is what will make me happy. He he is who will make me happy. She will make me happy. But where does it all begin? It all goes back to what we're thinking about. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Keep your heart with all vigilance. for For from it flow the springs of life. Everything comes out of the heart. So we've got to guard our heart. We've got to protect our heart. Now let's keep thinking about Joseph and what he did that I believe is the greatest way to maintain mental and, and moral purity in a sex-soaked culture. Thirty-nine, ten, B It says again. I, we read that. I'll read it again. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Let us continue reading. I don't know if we've even got this up on the screen. If we can throw up their grade, but I'm going to read verse eleven. So, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Do you got the picture? She's grabbing him. And he's saying, take my coat. I'm not going to let you take me. You're not going to get my heart. And he literally ran. He ran. If you're taking notes, here's, what, here's, here's how I would say that for us today. We must minimize our exposure to the pollution of the world. We must minimize our exposure to the pollution of the world. And, and this is where it gets tricky this is where I run the risk of being that pastor, that preacher, that kind of rantor, and like, and I, I shy away from saying some of these. I'm just being honest with you. I shy away from addressing some of this because I grew up in a culture that this is all pastors preached on all the time. Get rid of that TV. Get rid of that, you know, get the vision Like that's 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 my like. And so because that that has, I just hate that. I'll tend to shy away from that. So I hope we know each other well enough and and trust each other enough that when I began to flesh this out, that's not my heart, that's not my motivation, that that's not my perspective. But at some point, we have to ask the question, what does it look like to minimize our exposure to the pollution of the world? How do we begin to push away? To say, no, 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 I can't let that in. I can't get close to that. I can't flirt with that. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't dance with that. Because I know where it could take me. I know where it could lead me. Now again, I have a TV. I have Netflix. So I'm not that guy. But maybe we all should press pause at time to time and go, what am I doing? How, how, How do I protect my heart? How do I minimize what comes into my my eyes? What what gets into my heart? And and, and for everybody, it might be different because we all have, again, different tendencies and different weaknesses. But the question that we have to ask is what are you and I doing specifically to control the amount of pollution that inevitably will lead us to impurity? and immorality. Impurity, immorality, at its base, it's really about lacking to see the image of God in ourselves, that I'm created in the image of God, and seeing the image of God in somebody else. He's created in the image of God. She's created in the image of God. Instead, we use people to satisfy our own lust. Instead of seeing ourselves and others as image bearers of God. And parents, again, this is, I'm not that guy, man. But I, 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 I feel for you, the challenge of raising kids is always tough. It's always been tough. It's always going to be tough. But, but this particular piece of our culture, it's tough. The things that your, your, your young people, your sons and your daughters are exposed to at an earlier and earlier age, it is it's tough. So the question that I have to ask you as parents is, while, while you have the, the authority in their life, while, while you have the greatest amount of influence in their life, what, what are you doing to protect them? What do you do when you can still have the ability to, to turn down the dial? Of what comes into their, into their brains and into their eyes and into their, into their hearts. What are you doing to turn it down, to minimize it, to protect them? Single adults, what are you doing? In a culture, you know, again, we live in the hookup culture. The, just the casual hookups are no big deal. It's just sex, it's just my body, it's just for fun it's nothing to it don't believe that lie single adults this morning i want to look at a couple of passages as we run as we as we wind down and i think these kind of serve as a as a guideline maybe some 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 principles or some uh, you know again let's some commands not guidelines and principles, they're commands. This is what God says. It's not what Trent says, this is what God says. All right? So this is what he says. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. <clears throat> but sexual immorality and all impurity of covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. It, it, it should be so far out of your mind that we don't even talk about it. In, 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 in the sense of like talking about it to pursue it. Of, of course, I'm talking about it, but it's talking about it in a, in a different way, right? Sexual immorality and impurity must not, we, must not even be named among you. And then in Paul's letter, second letter to Timothy, his disciple, he tells him straight up so flee youthful passions. Maybe he was thinking about Joseph in the moment that we just read about where he literally drops the coat and runs. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Again, it's not just fleeing youthful passions, but it's pursuing the things that we should pursue pursuing faith and righteousness and love and peace. What does that mean, to flee? What does it mean, to flee? It means to flee. It means you run. It means you drop your coat, even if it's going to cost you. If you keep reading the rest of the story, dropping the coat on the floor and running out of the room cost Joseph because Mrs. Potiphar lied and said that he tried to get with her Potiphar gets mad, throws him in jail where he sits for a few years but in, Paul's mind, or in Joseph's mind it didn't matter because he was going to do the right thing and he knew in that moment I'm just going to flee I'm going to get out of the situation and how, how many of you and I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands how many of you can go back to moments in time that you're like yeah, I wish I had done that. Yeah, I wish I had just walked away. Or in some cases, I wish I had ran in the other direction. But we didn't. We stayed, we lingered. And now some of us have regret, guilt, shame still to this day because of things we did years ago. And that's who I want to give hope to this morning as well. You see, some of you are listening to this, and, and like from the moment that you knew, oh no, not this passage. Because you've been walking with Jesus enough to have read this before and, and have, have looked at this and have had guilt and shame kind of heaped upon you. You've carried it, and you're like, oh, nothing. You know, I wish I had stayed. I wish I had paid attention to where the story was going. I had to stay at home today. Right? Listen, I, I don't want that to be the case. I don't want you to carry guilt. I don't want you to carry shame because God doesn't want you to carry guilt and shame. He, he doesn't want you to continue in sin, but he doesn't want you to carry guilt and shame with you. That's what the cross is all about. That if we've been justified by the cross of Christ, we have been forgiven. And justification means just as if I'd never sinned. And so if you've dealt with your, your past, quit bringing it up. Understand that it's been reconciled to the cross. And you don't have to carry the guilt and shame of your past any longer, if indeed you have dealt with it. You've confessed, you've repented, you've made restoration if needs be. Right? But I don't want you leaving feeling guilt and shame because of your past. That's one group that I want to talk to. There's another group that I want to talk to. And that's those of you who are hearing the whispers from Potiphar's wife, or you are Potiphar's wife, and you're beginning to make whispers towards somebody else. For all that is holy, stop. Knock it off. Repent. Run in the other direction. Run in the other It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And then, for those who may be here, and I, again, I, I don't know everybody's, this is not something that you publicize, but maybe, maybe you're right now in the middle of it. Somewhere, somehow, someway. My challenge to you is that you would deal with it. That you would confess it to God, repent of it, and say, God, I, I, with your help, by your grace, for your name's sake, for your glory's sake, for my kid's sake, for my grandkid's sake, I want out of this. I don't want to live this way anymore. So, worship team comes. What is your ultimate authority? You or God. You've got to decide that. What steps are you taking to protect yourself, your own heart, your own mind? What steps can you take this week? As the worship team comes and we, we spend some time praying, uh, as we say every week, this isn't just two songs at the end before we head home. This is a time for you to respond. Now again, the, obviously the topic, it's, you know, it's, it's it's a sensitive one, but if you need to deal with something, if you need to repent, if you need to confess, you can spend some time sitting right where you're at. Great, talk to God, pray with your spouse, find a friend, pray with them. But then, if you're also here and you're not yet following Jesus, you've not made the decision to become a Christian, a Christ follower, and today you're like, at the end of the day, I, I can't, I can't do any of the things that you're asking me to do, it might be because you don't have the Spirit of God living inside of you. You've never believed the Gospel, you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And so it is impossible for you to walk away from your sin, because you're a slave to it. Scripture says you're a slave to it. But when you trust Christ as Savior, when you put your hope and faith in Him alone, He breaks the chain, so that you can walk in freedom, from the sin or the sins that have enslaved you all of your life. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian and today's the day that you'd like to be one, I'm going to be hanging out down front. Matt's going to come down. Jacob's going to come down. Becca, if you want to come, come down front, uh, whoever else wants to come down front to pray with people, come on down. But let's, let's respond and uh, ask, ask God to move amongst us. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. But also, God, thank you for your truth. Move us to align our hearts and our lives with your truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.